This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. This episode of Travel Today with Peter Greenberg is brought to you by audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash Travel today to get a free audiobook and 30 day trial. It's time for Peter Greenberg Worldwide with America's number one travel news journalist. And now, the man who travels over 400,000 miles each year, your travel detective, Peter Greenberg. Hi everybody, Peter Greenberg here and welcome to the podcast that's done from a different location around the world every single week. One day Canada, the next day Thailand, then New York, London, you just never know. This week we come to you from British West Indies along the long, white, sandy beaches of Long Bay in Anguilla and in particular from the Quintessence Hotel here in Anguilla. It's a remarkable hotel with a remarkable story to tell, a remarkable history and we'll talk about that in just a little bit. I don't even know where to start with my next guest. Because he and I go back to the days when we were both on NBC. He's a lawyer. He was a legal analyst on some of the biggest trials of the century. Uh, he's also a traveler. And his name, of course, is Jeff Feiger. Good to see you, Peter. And then somehow, when nobody was looking, you showed up in Anguilla. <laughs> nobody what, looks what at year? Anguilla. What year? 1984, when really no one was looking at Anguilla. Right. And loved it, stayed. And then, I don't know if this was just a, a crime of passion, <laughs> but you decided to build a hotel. 
crime against my family. Yeah, it was my only hobby. To uh, I had a piece of land behind my home, beautiful piece of land on a sloping hill overlooking Long Bay. And I said, what am I going to do with this? And in a peak of uh, maybe insanity, I began building this hotel. And it took I you always, 10 years. It took me 10 years, one, because I wanted to make it perfect. Two, I never thought I'd actually open the doors to the hotel. And when I lived long enough to having finished every nook and cranny in this place, uh, it turned out I had to open it or I had to just uh, look at it for the rest of my life. So we decided to open it. Well, let's go back a little bit because the last time I saw you, we were both sitting in the green room at the Today Show. That's right. And you were, you, it was either Jack Kevorkian or it was Scott Peterson. Or O.J. Simpson. Or O.J., which is my story, I know. I know. I mean, so... And looking at you now, you're you're half the man you used to be because you're so handsome now. You've, oh, God, will you You've lost all up? this weight. Stop I'm not sucking up. I'm not sucking up. People right. need to look at you. You're... you're you've, <laughs> you've done an amazing job here. I am here. so happy it's radio today. Anyway, exactly. But the bottom line is, here you are, a successful trial lawyer, uh, defense attorney. Uh, what did you know about the hotel business? Nothing. Nothing I was learned, but everything I do is learned. And so, I, it, and it was a fast uh, crash course in, in hotel management. This hotel is small enough for me to have a hands-on approach, but learning the systems that you've got to learn for, uh, you know, inventory control and stuff like that, and ordering the little details down to the uh, the sheets and the pillowcases. So you're the king so, of the cocktail napkins? Yeah, I actually uh, saw those cocktail napkins at the Four Seasons. I loved them. They're not really uh, disposable ones. They're uh, they're cloth they're ones. Yeah, yeah. So anytime I go into a hotel now and I see an you're amenity, stealing. you're stealing. I, the good borrow and the great steal. <laughs> that's what my brother always said, and that's what I do. Well, because you travel all over the place as an attorney, got a chance to test drive a lot of hotels. Exactly. And I built this one because I know exactly what. I like and exactly the place that I would like to stay in. And if money is no object, which it, it really isn't to me, I'm willing to pay for it if I'm willing if the people who are providing the service are willing to give it to me. And so I designed it based upon my belief that uh, uh, if I like it and I feel at home in it, that I think other people will really like it. Some people may know this story, but I'll repeat it anyway. Uh, back in 1994, I lost my house in the earthquake. And when it came time in Los Angeles... And when it came time to, to build from scratch, the architect came to me and said, well, what do you want in your new house? I said, I have absolutely no idea. He said, so why don't you just give me an idea room by room of what you want in your ideal bedroom, your ideal bathroom? I said, okay, let's start in the bathroom. I said, I want the shower head from the Savoy in London. I want the bathtub from the peninsula in Hong Kong. I want the fixtures from the Four Seasons. I want the marble. And they started looking at me like I was crazy. And I went through every bedroom and every room like that. And at the end of it, they said, do you realize what you've just done? I said, yeah, I've picked out everything I've ever liked in a hotel because that's where I live. So let's do it. Right. So we built the house out of 47 hotels. Yeah, but you got to have some con No, not exactly. Yes and no. You have to have some continuity. If you're going to have, you don't want every room to look like different than every oh, other room. Oh, it didn't. Room. It didn't. Right. There's got to be some continuity. For instance, I love all marble, uh, floor-to-ceiling marble. I love it. So we we stayed with that look. Uh, Diano, I believe, is the marble we used. I love the idea of cedar wood ceilings. So we stayed with that uh, that uh, amenity or little. Uh, I love the the tile roofs. Um, 
but certain things you have to go with. For instance, a lot of people come down here and they think, well, wouldn't it be nice to have Caribbean-made doors and windows? Well, that's a big mistake in the land of hurricanes. So it's best to have hurricane-proof windows and get them made in the States. So you built this like a fortress. We did build it like a fortress, and that therefore we withstood Hurricane Irma. Uh, not a drop of water got in. The secret in the Caribbean of surviving these hurricanes is to keep the water out. Unfortunately, a lot of these uh, hotels build very open floor plans, and it's impossible to keep the water out. And there, once that water gets in, uh, as far as I'm concerned, you've got it in you, and it's never coming out. Knock it down. I don't like the idea of uh, mold in my hotel. I'm with you. But in actually building this hotel, you completely well, digressed, if you will, from traditional hotel building standards. Yeah, this is a marble palace. This is You couldn't justify, in terms of traditional hotel building standards, the amount of money that was placed in each one of these rooms because this was a labor of passion. So you're in a marble palace. You really are. And when you're coming to the uh, Quintessence Hotel, you're, you're really in a marble, wood, stone, glass palace that's impenetrable to... Uh, category not five, category 15 hurricanes, because Irma, they say, was a five. It wasn't. It just was so off the chart, they had no other number for it. Exactly. If you, tr- if you do traditional metrics on what it costs to build a hotel room, under traditional metrics, one-tenth of one percent of your actual building costs should be what you're charging for the room. Right, right. You can't do that. You can't do that here. Right, and so the metrics for me are not to necessarily make money. It was to create the greatest hotel in the world. We've been speaking with Jeffrey Feiger, who, yes, he's the owner of the hotel, but you probably know him from all the cases he's had. I mean, I grew up watching, you know, we're about the same age, but on television, you were on all the time that I was on, Dr. Kevorkian, Scott Peterson, of case, the O.J. case. Yeah, it was the land. Uh, uh, it was the time of uh, legal cases. You don't see it much anymore. I watch TV now, and it's uh, politics all day. And even though I ran for governor of the state of Michigan too, uh, the, there really is no format anymore. If you look at all, virtually all the stations, including the old court TV, for for the legal format that well, we used to use. Well, you're not getting celebrated trials. What we have right now is a celebrated impeachment. Right. I'd like to try that case, that impeachment case. I offered in Nancy Pelosi. I think that. You know, the lawyer handling it for the House was okay, but they really need somebody who can really impress the public with some really good questioning like they did in the Nixon-Watergate hearings, and they don't have it. Well, speaking of politics, after you ran and you lost that election— Thank God. I wouldn't be here if I did. (laughs) The best best part of this story is you were then charged with campaign fraud, and the guy who defended you—I knew him very well because of Melinda Marcos—was Jerry Spence. It was his last last case. It was his last trial. I had— um, gained the enmity, I'll say that nicely, of the Nixon, uh, not the Nixon, the Bush, Gonzalez, Rove White House because of uh, my campaign uh, for governor and my support of uh, John McCain, who was running against uh, Bush at the time, and Governor Engler, who I lost to. And so they manipulated um, what they say was a campaign finance uh, allegation. Of course, that's basically the same similar allegation that they make against Trump now when he paid off the hookers uh, right before and after he was elected president. But Jerry Spence uh, represented me in the last case, charged me with 10 counts. That was interesting to be behind the, uh, be the on the other side of the eight ball, if you yeah. so to speak. And you were acquitted. Of all. Or I wouldn't be here either, but uh, it's, it's kind of a nonsense charge. They charged me with giving money to my mother. 
uh, and saying that therefore I was making donations in the name of another. I said, I don't think that's a crime. And I don't think the jury thought that was a crime either. But they wanted me, believe me. And the idea that government going after you is a frightening experience. I survived it. I had the wherewithal. And of course, I had Jerry Spence to, to represent when me. The, when the but government that's a go- frightening experience. Look, when the government goes after you, they have unlimited resources. Unlimited resources. They're relentless. They never back off. And they've got about a 98% conviction rate. So I'm part of the lucky 2% that gets acquitted. But they exactly. went after the wrong guy. Now, you're still practicing? You do. Every day I just tried a case last week in uh, a small county in Michigan, uh, won the biggest verdict in the history of that county, and uh, uh, actually this year has been my busiest trial schedule ever. I, I don't know how long So I no celebrated murder trials, but... No, th- those are few and far between. Yeah. I, 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 I'm lucky. I get to choose my cases. The criminal cases I choose only on the basis of the issue involved. I've represented not only Kevorkian and Nathaniel Abraham, who was the youngest child ever charged with murder in the United States, but I choose those on the basis not because they can retain me, but because I think the cause is right, because usually these people can't pay. Right. You're, it's pro bono. Correct. Let's go back to, I mean, your daily life now. It's, well, I'm sorry he can't come to the phone right now. He's... Designing his hotel room? Right. Once I'm, I'm in my office, and I can either cut half my day is spent working on cases, the other half is spent uh, cocktail working, napkins. working cocktail on napkins. cocktail napkins. <laughs> and I have to also divide my time. I get about two, three, four, five days a month down here where I, because yeah, it, it is a hands on experience, as you know, if you are not present, if you are, and, and that's what I think makes. This hotel, when you come into this hotel, you're not only in the finest hotel in the world, you're in my home, and I'm going to make you feel incredibly good about it. These hotels that are run through management companies, essentially, that are laissez-faire, that feel uh, goes away and isn't present where you hear you have that true feeling that you are uh, being well taken care of. Every need is met. The number of staff that I have per guest is overwhelmingly high. Of course, people pay for that, but that's what I built it for. You know, you're a Michigan guy. Yeah. If you were going to open this hotel in Michigan, uh, it's a different situation because it's easily accessible. Your sourcing is easier. You got people on the ground who've done this before. Correct. You're on an island here. Not Peter. You have no idea. Every screw is is imported. And charged for because the only taxes on this island are import taxes. So everything you see, and I'm, we, we have the finest finishes in the world, literally. We bring craftsmen in from all over the world. But every single piece of metal, of a screw, of anything has to be imported. So we have to think ahead in terms of also supplying. We, need, we often buy five more of everything we need. You know, Branson's done something like this with his Necker Island. Yeah. This is nicer. This is much You're saying nicer. that on the air? Oh, absolutely. Okay. He can visit, too. But <laughs> I, I know Necker Island, and this is nicer, because th- this, is, this is better built and, and more exclusive and more luxurious and, and more well-staffed. All right, so I want to go back to the lessons that you learned from your other travel experiences that you applied here, right? Mm-hmm. For example, no mini bars. No. Because I, I think that that's, that's just a fad, uh, and, and, and we thought about it in advance, and uh, we're a little old-fashioned here, Peter. We don't have cocktail 
uh, uh, menus, so to speak, with a foo-foo cocktails. We're old-fashioned. We don't have the mini bars. If you want the service, we'll provide any service that you want. We'll pr- we'll bring it to your room, but there's not going to be a mini bar. It just in my in my world, in the Jeffrey Figer world, uh, mini bars are passe. Well, more than and passe, they, they actually make me angry. Good. They, they so do. you share my belief. Well, they make me angry, especially the infrared Darth Vader mini bars. Yeah, yeah. Or if you just touch if the you Diet open Coke, the door, oh they're charged. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's nonsense. And that's all automation. You know, it reminds me of an automat. Remember they had those in New York City? Horn and Hardart. Yep. Horn and Hardart. You the put the quarter in and got the, uh, the, the, the fudge bottom pie. Yeah. yeah. So you're not going to, this is an old fashioned hotel. This is based solely upon service. Literally, the, the, the personnel in this hotel, uh, the employees, and, and Gwillens are famous for that too. They understand this as well as anything else in terms of the hospitality business. This is based upon personal service. It's old fashioned in that way. And I like it. You know, there's there's that whole nickel and diming approach that you see all over the world. There is a hotel right now. It's a Hyatt hotel. They charge you extra if you have a desk in your room. Well, they char- I've gone to... Ho- they charge you extra... F- I-, I stayed at the Hotel de Cap, and they were charging me to s- sit by the pool. Come that on. Was- no. They were charging you for a chair at the pool, and I was staying there, which is utter and complete nonsense. Well, that's like the resort fees. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, you know, nonsense, too. Well, utter and complete. The only reason why hotels charge a resort fee is they want to be competitive on rate and and not on value. Right. So they get you on the rate, and then it's ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching later. The other end. And that sends the wrong message. I understand. And this is extreme. I mean, I don't want to underestimate what we're talking about. We're for the chosen few. This is a very, very, very expensive. But everything is included other than your your lunch and dinner and your drinks. Um, But we provide everything, and there's not going to be any secret uh, uh, charges of any kind. It's uh, when you're here you're going to be well taken care of. Well, the, Beyond well. Listen, being the... Have you liked it, by the way? I you've, have. You've gotten to experience it a little a with little your bit, staff. Yes. They're great. But being the attorney that you are, there's one thing in the travel industry that drives me absolutely nuts. And you see it in every advertisement. You see it in every print piece. You see it on television. It's the asterisk. Right. Right? All-inclusive asterisk. And then, of course, in the fine print, is listing everything that's not that's included. That's the industrialization of the travel industry, just like everything else, and it's being run by huge corporations. This is not being run by a huge corporation. It's being run by Jeff Figer. That's the difference. Well, the other thing is, all these other corporations are lawyered up, but you are the lawyer. That's right. So I'm not afraid of... I don't think anybody's going to mess with me in that sense. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. Okay, so let me just go one step beyond and not talk about this hotel, but talk about your experiences as a traveler. What's the one thing, you can have three if you want, that really got you angry as a traveler? You said, okay, we're never going to do that at my hotel. The, the, the number one pet peeve is uh, uh, not caring about uh, what's important, that the room when you arrive isn't immaculately clean, that they're not ready for you, that uh, you've got to wait. I think perhaps the, my biggest pet peeve is arriving just a few hours early and saying, well, our, your room isn't ready yet, and you've got to wait until 5 o'clock to get in. That's utter and complete nonsense. And I don't understand why hotels are being run like that. Well, because they want to turn rooms. Right. Yeah. And I've seen even the greatest hotels turn uh, corporate now. And so the lack of, of personal attention is missing. I've got. I, I don't want to be critical, but there's one hotel in particular in New York City I love. Which hotel would that be? Well, I, I love the personnel. Of Name the, the hotel. The Four Seasons. I love the personnel, the, the, the guys who I know. But I've seen now a change over the years. 
I've seen a change over the years in terms of management at the higher level that don't give you the personal attention that it did 10, 20 years ago when and you it know first it. started. Yeah. And you know it. Exactly. I love it. Well, the bottom line is, once you, I'll, I'll talk about one thing. Your mattresses. Hastings. $20,000 individual uh, uh, per mattress. Per mattress. They are missing an engine and four wheels, but other than that, you could probably drive them around. No, they're, and the sleep is incredible on these things. I mean, the, it, and, and so we've got Haston's mattresses. We've got the best uh, Egyptian cotton sheets. We've got, I've tried to do everything in, in the most perfect way that I could do it. And uh, if somebody appreciates that. But if you're looking for value, and, and you know, I see a lot of people out there, and I think they're more, some people are more concerned with cost than quality. I'm more concerned with quality than cost. And that's what this place is for. Does that right. make sense to you? Yeah, but why was there a vending machine inside the mattress that I had to, <laughs> no, no, I'm sorry. But have you seen that vending machine, that Moet and Chandon uh, uh, vending machine for champagne bottles? Yeah. Now, I was thinking of getting that only because it's such a quirky thing. Stop and you it. can buy it, but Just I'm not going to do it. stop it. I saw it in the Neiman Marcus catalog <laughs> for Christmas. Don't it's go there. It's only $35,000. Don't go there. Jeffrey Fiker, <laughs> the owner, the operator of the Quintessence. You don't right here think I should get the Moet and Shandon vending We're machine? We're done. That music means right at high for this hour. <laughs> be a rapid change in cabin pressure, oxygen masks will automatically drop from the compartment above your seat, free of charge. And to start the flow of oxygen, pay your flight attendant $75.63. She's the executive director of the Anguilla National Trust, Farah Mokita. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. A transplant from Halifax, Nova Scotia, via the Philippines. Yes, that's right. Can we get any more international than that? I know. <laughs> but what brought you here? Um, I saw the job posting. It was for a protected areas manager. And my background is tropical ecosystems, and particularly, particularly the marine environment. So I saw the job posting, and I applied for it, and I was lucky enough to get the position. And part of your your mandate really is to protect animals, yeah, and, mar- and marine animals. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are the what are the most endangered ones here, and and how are you helping them? So, for the National Trust, our we work with the Department of Fisheries on marine related things, but for the National Trust ourselves, we mostly focus on the land. So the over the last year or so, we actually received some funds from the UK government specifically to look at endangered species. So most of Anguilla's land-based terrestrial species species are actually reptiles. So we're looking What do you at, have here? We have snakes. Yes. Lizards. Yes. Um iguanas. No alligators. No alligators, but um our iguanas look almost like little dinosaurs. So they're pretty special, but they're also endangered. So our focus has been on five different reptiles and two different plant species. And what's their biggest threat? I mean, what's what's their their biggest challenge? Um, climate change is a huge one. Uh, so it's how do you see climate change, or how's it manifested? Uh, well, we're seeing. I think Irma was kind of the rising water levels. The rising water levels. We have stronger hurricanes, um, and more of them. And more of them. 
um, and they tend to go a little bit slower, so their impact lasts longer. Yeah, when they go slow and they're moving at two miles an hour, that's when they're doing the most damage. Exactly, right? and that's what I think um, Bahamas saw this year. We were lucky when 2017, when Irma hit us, it moved pretty quickly, but it created so much damage in just you know the 24 hours. And that we by had the way, for. to this day, if you're taking the ferry from St. Martin to Anguilla, you're going to be passing about 30 or 40 still sunken boats. Yep, that's right. And yeah. you, you see their masts kind of protruding from the water and some old funnels and just bows, you know, kind of piercing the surface. Mm-hmm. I hope they'll finally get those boats out of there. It's true. And then I guess we don't really know what's on the bottom either because there could be a lot of debris just sitting on the bottom that hasn't been removed. Or so the recovery is still going on in that respect. Absolutely. And the restoration of the island is still happening too with construction still happening with our hotel, or not hotels, but hospitals and uh, schools and well, when you think about you know, the things that you're seeing that are tangible and scary, right? Rising water levels, mm-hmm. powerful hurricanes, more of them. Those are things you you not you may not be able to control. No, and for Anguilla, Anguilla is such a small island, and we contribute so little to climate change. But we are on the front line of feeling those impacts. So for us, it's not what can we do to sort of limit what we're doing to create climate change, but how can we mitigate the impacts of climate change? So, and how can we make our island more resilient? So it's about creating natural, um, I don't want to say infrastructure, but creating natural barriers. So making sure that our coastal vegetation is strong, making sure that um, our species aren't Coastal vegetation to stop erosion. Absolutely. So you have the the root system that goes into the ground and it holds the sand in place or it holds soil in place. Um, but it also creates really important habitat for, you know, tens and hundreds of different species. Not to mention our friends, the sea turtles. Absolutely. I'm telling you, I spent some time in Costa Rica watching those prehistoric animals come up on the beach, those leatherbacks. Mm-hmm. It is staggering to they're, see what they do. They're so beautiful and so magnificent and they're under so much pressure too. So, when you have, they're still being hunted, not in Anguilla. It's illegal to um, to hunt sea turtles or harvest sea turtles, but it's not everywhere around the world. But then on top of that, when we go back to climate change, um, the hatchlings or the, the nests are actually affected by the heat. So if you have um, higher temperatures or higher sand temperatures, you're going to get more female turtles. Um, and so when you remove vegetation or wet the heat from, you know, higher temperatures because of climate change, um, we actually end up getting more female turtles, which messes up our gender ratio. And what about the entire fishing ecosystem? Are you seeing an impact here of overfishing? Um, I think it's been sort of a mix of everything. In the past, there was quite a bit of um, focus on the nearshore fishing habitat. And so we have seen a decline in in fish stocks, but it's also been impacted by things like hurricanes, which have sure. destroyed coral reefs and and has limited the the habitat for fish. As we well saw as, in, in where mm-hmm. I live back in New York when Hurricane Sandy came in, it destroyed the seabed mm-hmm. and all the eelgrass, which was the protector of all the shellfish. Without the eelgrass, they were exposed to their predators and they were wiped out. Exactly. There's so many different factors at play. Yeah, you can't move and, one chess piece without moving a lot of them. Exactly. We're talking with, Farah, with Farah Makita, who's the executive director of the Anguilla National Trust. For someone visiting down here, coming down for the first time, uh, how can they get involved, volunteer, and participate with you? 
So we do have, um, we're a small organization, but we have this really wide range of programs that we do. So we are always looking for, for people to volunteer or just to come out and see what we do. Um, so they can always just contact us. Some of the programs that they could assist with involve sea turtle monitoring. So we go out and we look to see if any turtles nested on the beach or if there's any hatchlings that No, we did that. We nest. did it for our lights at night. Because, oh, at night, yeah. Yeah, because that's when they come up. Exactly. Yeah. So it's really hard for us because we have a small sea turtle population. So a lot of the time, and we have done it, where we've gone out at night and haven't seen anything for days on end. Um, but you enjoyed the experience. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> but if you go in the morning, you can see if there's any tracks, and then you can s- sort of figure out where it might have nested. So we the website? Give us the website. Our website is www.axanationaltrust.com. And you know what? What a better way to do it than to volunteer with the people who actually live here. And then who better to give you a tour of the rest of the island than your best new friends at the Anguilla National Trust. How about that? Exactly. And because of our work, our work takes us all across the island. So we get to see some really special places that you might not otherwise go to if you don't really stray off. Like what? There's some amazing landscapes, um, but you have to go down the dirt roads and and know the sort of access points. So what you're trying to tell me is you got to know a guy who knows a guy who knows a guy. Exactly. And you know that guy. Absolutely. And we that's could why, be those people. Of course. <laughs> if you are continuing on to another Southwest destination, please make sure that you check the monitors inside the terminal for your proper gate and flight information. If you are continuing on with another airline, we really don't care. My next guest has a much better voice than I do today. He's the owner and radio host of Class FM, Abner Brooks. How are you, sir? Good morning, sir. I am pretty good. How are you doing? I told you you had a better voice than I do today. <laughs> when I think of an island like Anguilla, I don't often think of, and most people don't, about how important radio is because it connects the whole island. It is, it is the news bulletin. It is the information flow. It's it the telegraph. Yeah, that's the fact. People look forward to uh, Radio Anguilla in particular. We do quite a bit of work here in this country, Anguilla. Um, we are everything for information, entertainment. Uh, people, um, uh, people in Anguilla, uh, you know, they tune into us every day for the information. And uh, you made a very great point there because it's very vital to the people of the land. For example, if I'm not on one morning, you know, people wonder what's up with you, what's going on. They feel lost as if they're disconnected from the world. You're that important? <laughs> in Anguilla, it seems. <laughs> in Anguilla, it seems. <laughs> wow. I like this idea. Uh, uh, well, when you think about it, mm-hmm. it connects people. Yeah, in a, in a big way. In a big way. Well, as you're reporting on the news, mm-hmm. as you're reporting, mm-hmm. uh, reporting on the social developments, mm-hmm. or, you know, good, bad, and ugly, what's really been topic A here in Anguilla? Topic A in recent times has been, you know, the Scott Habgood story. That has been, you know, the big right. story in Anguilla for some time. The, death, got, the death of, yeah, the, yeah, of uh, the local. Of the local. Kenny Mitchell's story, of, you know, the Habgood story. And um, and in the recent times, you know, the, you know, the abscondment of Mr. Habgood, of, you know, in this um, PI matter before the court now has been occupying And the there's headlines. a warrant out for his arrest. International warrant for his arrest, yes, has been issued, you know, by, by, the, by the authorities here. We are aware of that. But that has been the big story for some time now. And depending on which story you believe, Uh I mean, I can't, to give everybody an an update, this gentleman, Mr. Hapgood, Uh was here vacationing with his wife and kids, Uh and according to him, Uh right, this guy came to his room and attacked him. Yes, he said that. I I have to tell you, Uh I've been in Anguilla for 30 years. Uh I've never heard of anybody 
on an the look the biggest thing about an island, mm-hmm. which is the best thing to recommend an island, mm-hmm. is you can't run. You can't run. You can't yeah. go anywhere. There's no car theft yeah. here. What are you gonna do with a car? <laughs> right? There's right. I mean, there's nowhere to run and hide. Yeah. So, in a situation like this, you have to think of what's the motive. The motive is, mm-hmm. uh, and then what was the reaction? What were mm-hmm. the consequences? Mm-hmm. Very bizarre story. It's a bizarre story. A very intriguing story, and it, it has captured the attention of um, of locals and Americans alike. It, it, it is the big story out there, really, but no one knows the answer, and that is what makes it even more you know, complex and more confusing uh, because it, the other part, the party in this matter is dead, Kenny Mitchell, and only Hapgood has his story, and right. uh, that is what it is right now for us. But, Abner, think about uh, this. You've been here how long? A long time. Okay. Yeah, a long time, yes. How many deaths are there on the island that are unexplained? Uh, yeah, I mean, this yeah. is an unusual story. It is a, it's a very unusual story. I mean, very unusual story at, at this time. It is indeed, yes. And in a way, and I, I liken this to the Dominican Republic with mm-hmm. their nine unexplained deaths, mm-hmm. right? It's how an island or an island country uh, gets ahead of the story, if they can, mm-hmm. and explains to people what didn't happen. Otherwise, the perception is... There's a lot of crime in Anguilla. That is the view. I mean, that is what is being portrayed by the Habgood people, apparently. Um, you, I'm sure you're aware, Peter. They would, they would have conducted these um, press conferences in, in, in New York and in Connecticut recently. And, you know, they are crying out, you know, foul, as if the justice system here in these islands are against them. They, they, there's, some, you know, they, they, there's some untoward plan or plot, you know, to, you know, to somehow imprison Mr. Mr. Scott Habgood. Um, that is not the case at this point in time. I'll tell you now, uh, Peter, in Anguilla, our justice system is a very old one. We are part of the wider Eastern Caribbean justice you know, um, system that has been in place for over 30, 40 years. It is reputable, has been tried and proven. Yeah, okay, And I'm confident that Mr. Hopgood can receive a fair trial in Anguilla. But he says he can't, so he's not coming back. Well, that is the story he's giving there. But we are confident and you know, that you know, on this island that he can receive a fair trial. We have had several high-profile cases right across the Eastern Caribbean. And uh, with pretty decent judgments coming out of, the, out of that court. But they first got to get him in the court. Yes, that's what it is right now. So he's not coming back. He has, he's absconded, um, as you, I told you before. And um, he's um, citing um, you know, um, his personal safety and, you know, and uh, the fact that he, be- well, he believes he cannot receive a fair trial here in Anguilla. He's saying all of that. You know, I live on an island in New York, mm-hmm. and our biggest crime mm-hmm. is bicycle theft. <laughs> and mm-hmm. by the way, mm-hmm. if somebody steals your bike, mm-hmm. they can't go very far either. No, no. It's an no. island. It's an island. It's and an you island. know what? You find the bike two days later in the bushes. Yeah, I know. Uh, I know. But it's always the perception. Perception. It's always the perception. Perception. And, and that is what is we are grappling with right now because he's putting this story out there, you know, um, with the hope of garnering support, really, from Americans that he's in trouble and um, as if he's being taken advantage of in Anguilla. And um, I believe that is not the case. I believe it is, you know, that he's um, somehow playing the American people. So prior to this case, mm. what was the biggest crime in Anguilla? <laughs> Anguilla is a very, is, is a very um, you know, relatively calm little country. Um, not a whole lot, you know. Um, you you're here, very leisure, relaxed. Um, the beaches are there. You move around, and um, you don't hear a whole lot, really and truly, you know. I mean, like elsewhere in the world, we have little petty things, little petty stuff here and there. But um, we have never, we are not a country where um, you know, we have big things really um, roll out like what we see elsewhere in the world. We are a relatively safe country, a very quiet, peaceful little country, tranquil country, exactly. warm and loving people. With an occasional overindulgence in alcohol. 
Yes. Oh, yeah. Of course. Oh, of hey, course. Of course. On. Of course. Of course. <laughs> exactly. In our leisure time. <laughs> Why are you laughing? It's true. I, mean, I, I, I know it. Because know. we all, we all, you know, in, in our dunk time, we relax and have a drink, right? <laughs> well, speaking of that, I want to talk to you about mm. the cool restaurants here, mm-hmm. the cool bars. Good. Places to get breakfast. All right. Where are you taking me for breakfast? Well, uh, in, this morning, as a, as a matter of fact, I was to the place, beach restaurant and bar, Rendezvous Bay, a while ago. It's a gorgeous beach, you know. It's located just about a, a mile from here, you know, up to, to the east of this um, location. Um, great place for breakfast and lunch. Great location. Um, it, the owner is um, someone whose family was in, has been involved with uh, hotels and restaurants for well over 40 years. And uh, what did you order? I ordered this morning. I had me one of those, um, you know, um, what, what do you call it, the egg omelets, you know, with, let, with, uh, with um, peppers and tomatoes and all the nice stuff in there, man, with some ham. How spicy was it? Uh, nice, good. Not too spicy, but delicious indeed. Delicious indeed. All right, and lunch? Uh, lunch. Um, I was there for lunch the other day as well, and I would have had me, you know, one of those steaks, you know, New York, you know. One steaks. of those steaks? Yeah, those big steaks, yeah, those nice A tomahawk? Steaks. Yeah, tomahawk. Oh, the tomahawk steaks, the big ones. You're a you big know. guy. You probably <laughs> handle the tomahawk. <laughs> yeah, for sure, but good stuff, man, and um, you can eat there. Other than that, um, if you're looking for more breakfast spots in Anguilla, uh, let me tell you a bit about... Um, Coffee O'Clock, that is in the heart of the heart of the town, the capital of the valley. Um, they're known for great stuff, you know, um, sandwiches, burgers, uh, you know, tunas, you know, name it, ham and cheese, all this stuff. All the great American breakfast that you're accustomed to can be found here in Anguilla as all right, well. So let's uh, talk about your late night behavior at the uh, strip. Okay, on the strip. Yeah, the strip. Uh, on the strip, the popular strip. Well, the strip in the last couple of years has become, you know, a, you know, a very hot spot um, where locals and visitors alike frequent. Um, known for great food and drink. I'm sure, um, if you have a, ch- you would have had a chance to witness the strip for yourself in the, in all its element, in its element, full element. Um, you'll be amazed, really, by what happens there. Um, people are very happy. Live music, DJs, sometimes bands are there too. Um, but the food really is a must. Barbecues and the soups and all this stuff, man. It's a great place and. Also, there are some breakfast spots on the strip now as You're well. You're going back to breakfast, aren't you? Yeah, they you, are very you start popular your day there. With breakfast, don't you? <laughs> of course. You're so busted. <laughs> okay. All right. But it's good stuff. Trust me, um, on the strip is a great place to be at, you know, and uh, I believe that in time to come, in the future, yes, yeah, I'm sure that the authority will want to develop the strip some more, you know, the aesthetics of it. But um, the strip right now is the in thing. People frequent the strip on a weekend. Like today, like right now, I drove to the strip to get here, and it was busy this morning. <laughs> Abner Brooks, <laughs> yes, sir. the owner and yeah. radio host yeah, but... of Class FM. Class FM. Thanks, man. Thanks, bud. I'll see you for breakfast. Uh, okay, for breakfast. We'll be there. Yeah, we'll never leave. Riding along in my automobile. My baby beside me at the wheel. Cruising and playing the radio With no particular place to go At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a house. It's your home. The place that's filled with memories. The early days of figuring it out... To the later years of still figuring it out. For the place you've put down roots, trust Amica Home Insurance. Amica, empathy is our best policy. Audible.com has more than 150,000 titles and virtually every genre. So check it out for yourself. 
Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. And our next guest, a Canadian expat and the owner of the Savannah Gallery, Frank Costin. How are you, sir? I'm great. Very nice to meet you and a pleasure to be on the air with you. You've been here for 23 years. I have. How'd you come here first? Uh, just ready for part two of life. I mean, it's a way long story, but I was just ready for part I'm, two I'm of open. life. I'm open. Tell me. I moved down here with my late partner, David. We were just, both of us, ready for part two of life. He was not well at the time, was given six months to live, and, and Anguilla gave him a decade. Really? I kid you not. Wow. So that last chapter wasn't as short as he thought it was going to be. No, it was a great last chapter, and I've been here for 15 years since he passed, and just a happy little boy. And so you're here. I'm here. You're not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. I got Anguilla dogs, man. I don't go anywhere. And what keeps you here? Many things. I've never had my spiritual soul so at peace. I know that sounds terribly corny. No, hey, when you get it, you get it. When you get it, you get it. When I walk my dog or dogs, whoever I'm in attendance with these days, down to the shore in the morning, I'm, the waves are crashing ashore. I'm with my dog bouncing around. I've got a big mug of coffee with almond milk in it. Man, I'm counting my blessings. I'm just counting yeah. my blessings. I love Anguilla. I also love my business. I look forward to going into the gallery every day. My clients are great. My artists are great. And it's just a lovely, lovely thing to, I, that I do. And you've been consulting for this hotel. I have. I met Jeffrey about eight years ago. He has a dazzling collection with a strong focus on Haitian art. I, you can't go anywhere without seeing it. It's amazing. And I've got some... I first went to Haiti when I first moved to Anguilla about 23 years ago, and I've got very good connections for Haitian art around the world. And I find him the odd nice thing from time to time, and it's always just a pleasure being here. I, I enjoy Jeffrey's company, and I love his hotel. You know, you mentioned Haitian art, so I'm going to open this door and talk about that. For a country that's been so abused by countries around the world, forgotten, ignored, uh, beaten up, if you will, I find their art to be so positive. That is the great mystery, and no one has been able to explain it. I, I mean, if you, even if you look at the metal sculptures, they're made from recycled oil drums. These folks are taking junk and making joy from junk. They're taking canvas and, and just painting pure joy, an interesting joy. And, and, and the color choices, I mean, okay, it's a coincidence that green is my favorite color, okay? But... The, their use of the different shades of green. Well, that's Henri Robert Priciel. He's yeah. probably the late great master. He really put landscape painting on the map for Haiti. He was the first one to say, we don't always have to be about the spirit world. It can also be about the magnificent pastoral landscape of Haiti. I've driven through Haiti. It's terrifying, but the landscape is dazzling. It's rich. Very rich, very yeah. lush, very beautiful. You know, when you look at the map, and by the way, uh, ladies and gentlemen, most Americans don't, and you look at where Haiti is and where it's attached, it always is staggering to me that on one side of this landmass and this island is the Dominican Republic, and they're doing just fine, and Haiti's been ignored. Haiti's got a long history of problems, and you could do five shows about that alone. Right, but the spirit of Haiti lives on in their, in their art. I've never heard a single artist complain to me in Haiti. When I uh, worked in Toronto, it was a massive kvetch fest. Go to Haiti, you won't hear a single complaint from anyone. Exactly. Anybody kvetching in Anguilla? If they are, I'm not listening. <laughs> <laughs> but having driven through Haiti, having, having acquired a lot, what is the art of Anguilla? The art of Anguilla is varied. 
you have some of the Anguillan artists doing very beautiful, intuitive work of the, of the, you know, of the little old homes, of the goats, of the roosters. You have people like Courtney Devonish, Louise Brooks, Mercedes Fleming doing very, very fine works. Then you have some, some of the expats, uh, people like Joanne Mason and Lynn Birnbaum doing a little more contemporary work and uh, what, neither is better than the other. Both are beautiful in their own way, shape, and form. So people come down to vacation in Anguilla and go home with something. Yes, I do a great deal of my business with people who are putting their collection together as they travel. In essence, they'll go to Thailand to get a beautiful Thai painting. They'll go to Bali and get something fabulous from Bali. Santa Fe, beautiful southwestern painting. Come to Anguilla. It may not be from Anguilla, but it's a Caribbean work of art, and they're very happy with it to add to their collection. And as Frank will be the first to tell you, shipping is okay. Shipping is dandy. We have a fantastic, <laughs> we have a fantastic DHL office here in Anguilla. There's no duty or taxes for art going into the United States. And man, oh man, I go through rolls of bubble pack a year. I bet you do. Oh. And when you don't, the dogs play with it. Oh, no. My dogs have very limited toys because my current dog, Lula, is Senor Destructo. Oh, really? Senor Destructo? Senor Destructo. That sounds like a performance art piece. Lula is a performance art piece. heard me during the show talk about ARF, the Anguilla Animal Rescue Foundation, and all the good work that they do. And I like talking about that because my sister rescues dogs. I rescue dogs. I'm the biggest easy touch if I ever showed up at your organization. And I'm talking about Susie Donahue, who's the, the vice president of ARF. Yes. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. How long have you been in business? How long has ARF um, been out there? The, the shelter and ARF started in 2000. It was a group of uh, Concerned citizens, including Dr. Vanderpool, who was our veterinarian, was our only right. veterinarian at the time on the island. And uh, so we've been going strong since then. And you're another American expat, right? Yes. yes. You moved here when? About 2000? 2001. One from Maryland. Maryland, yes. What brought you here? Vacation, fell in love, and then we just retired. <laughs> that was it? Yes. One-stop shopping? Oh, more or less. <laughs> yeah. What about Anguilla was, was, was the turning point for you? Um... I, the people, I guess, if, if that's what you're... Yeah. You're, yeah. That, everybody's so nice here, and uh, and we just fell in love with the place. And every time we came, we saw the same people, and they always remembered us, and it was just a, a nice place to be. Now, ARF is an all-volunteer organization. Yes, that's correct. you gotta, you got to raise money. Yes. Where does the money come from? The money comes from donations from uh, mostly the United States uh, and Canada, people that love Anguilla, too, that come here on vacation, um, fall in love with the animals, with, with ARF, and... And I want to help us out. Now, in the Turks and Caicos, mm -hmm. they have animals there called pot cakes. Right. You yes. know what I'm talking about. Yes. Those are their abandoned dogs. Right. And they have a very interesting program that if you actually adopt the dog, they'll arrange the kennel. The airline will fly it back for you. And so a lot of people who come down on vacation come back as a plus one. Right. That's true. Are you doing that here too? We do encourage that. We have a separate organization that we work with called Anguilla Freedom Flyer Dog Rescue. And they're the ones that partner with us. If we have someone that is interested, then they they do the whole thing, the kennel. They'll do the escort. Everything, yes. Wow. Yes. And, and how many, for example, on a, on a given day, mm -hmm. how many dogs are you taking care of? We have um, average about 10. At so the it's shelter. small. Yes, yes, it is. It's small, small it's manageable, and... You know what? If I walked in there, this is where I'm really dangerous. If I walked in there with only 10 dogs, I know I'm walking out with one. Okay. I think you need to come visit then. Don't do this to me. <laughs> do not do this to me. But the point is, even though you're small, you're scalable, yes. and you can handle it. Yes, we do. We try. <laughs> what kind of dogs are you getting? 
<laughs> we get just we call them local dogs, and they're the smartest dogs ever. I mean, they're they're some people do uh, send off the genetic kits, you know, to see what they are, and they come back with all kinds of things that we haven't even seen around here. So, uh, uh, but lots of uh, terrier mixes, pit bull mixes, um, that sort of thing. Sometimes Shih Tzus. And what are the rules about vaccinations and papers? Vac- to you mean to go back to the states? Yeah. Yes, um, you have to have one set of vaccinations, um, and then after that, you have to have a rabies if the puppy is three months or older. Usually they're not, so we don't have to have a rabies because our uh, anguilla is rabies-free. So, Even better. Yes, it is. But you do you do prepare the animals for transport. Yes, we do. And we provide a, uh, a carrier and everything for you. One-stop shopping. Yes. And how does somebody come down and volunteer, and what are their duties? Um, to volunteer, we just want you to come in and say you're here to volunteer, and we'll find something for you to do, definitely. Such as? Such as uh, give cu- cuddles and love to the puppies and you kittens. You want me to volunteer to give cuddles? That's yes. it? <laughs> yes, that's it. Oh, man, this is easy. This is way too easy. <laughs> right. And you go walk the dogs, too? Mm-hmm. We can, if you want to do that. Yeah. It's, it's up to what you, what you want to do. But mainly we have a, a, a puppy play yard in the back, and that's where we want people to come and sit with the puppies and pat them and love them. (laughs) Do you work with any of the hotels and the resorts here? Not really. Um, They, I mean, except that they know that we have something for their their guests to do if they're interested. Right. It would be great. That would be a great activity, especially... You know, for, for parents with their kids. Right. Because you realize that the kids are happy, the parents are, the parents are coming. <coughs> and that's the best part of the deal. Right, yes. Is there a cost involved if I'm going to adopt a dog? <coughs> Sorry. Uh, yes, it's $25 to adopt. And then um, usually the airline charges between 125 and 200 to transport the puppy. By the way, in the some locations, like in St. Thomas, <coughs> the airlines have actually, you know, been populated by a lot of dog and puppy-loving flight attendants. yes. And they're not charging. Yes. It depends on where you're flying from. It's true, yes. We we haven't worked out anything like that with any of the airlines yet, but we certainly would be interested. <laughs> you should. You should. I, my guess is if you worked with the hotels and they built it into the rate, right? Yes. You'd get a donation. The puppies would get it. Well, not just the puppies. The dogs would get adopted, and everybody wins. I think that's a great idea. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, well, if I wasn't flying out right after the show, I would be down there. Okay. So next time you come. Okay, so we have pit bull mixes. We have all kinds of mixes. We have lab mixes. We have whatever you want to mix. <laughs> What's the biggest dog you've got? Um, we have actually Dr. Vanderpool has a uh, a mountain dog, a Bernie Burmese oh, yeah. mountain dog. Um, those... That's a dog that pets people. Yes, yes, he does. So yeah, and but we've got lots of big dogs on the island too, but mostly other dogs are about forty-five pounds. That's big enough. Yeah, yeah. Wow, Susie Donahue. The Vice President of the Anguilla Animal Rescue Foundation, otherwise known, I can't help it, ARF. <laughs> That's I know right. you, didn't de- de- you didn't decide on that intentionally, it just happened. ARF. Uh, yes. <laughs> I love it. And the website? www.aarf.ai. The charge for looking at this pamphlet is $3. The charge for looking at this pamphlet and putting it back quickly is $4. Having come to Anguilla so many years, what remains for me is that it has still maintained its charm, its sense of being. It's 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 not overdeveloped. You're not going to find huge high rises here. You're not going to see rampant all inclusives. You're not going to see um, 
huge bus tours. The minute you get here by ferry boat, and most people come by ferry uh, from St. Martin, the minute you get here, uh, your pulse rate goes down, you slow down, you realize there is no dress code, nor should there ever be, and, uh, and you get a chance to think, breathe, maybe even exhale, and discover new things. Somebody who knows a lot about that has been here for 31 years. He's, I call him a historian. He's also a sculptor. Courtney Devonish, how are you, sir? I'm fine. Morning. I mean, you've seen so many changes here, and you've seen not many changes here. That is correct. Some of the changes I'm seeing are not for the better, and I think it could have been a lot better if they had kept on the track that they were on when I first arrived. Well, let's talk about that. Uh, when you first got here, what brought you here? Because you're from Barbados. I'm from Barbados, and I was recruited by Canada as a consultant for handicraft development. And that brought me here in 1988. And when I arrived, my first question was, where are the trees? <laughs> because all I saw was shrubs and a few mahogany and tamarind trees. And the answer you got was, there are no trees. There weren't any trees. But now they have probably more than they can cope with. So, okay, that's one change. It's been forested, if you will. It has but, been but when forested. When you first came here in '88, there were no wild beach resorts. There were. It, it was. It was very quiet. It was very quiet, and it, it was well managed. And I think the development probably got too rapid over the period of time. So, how do you maintain that now? How do you control it? Well, one of the problems I think is that how do you maintain a balance with employment? because you have the construction workers, and at the same time you have an employment problem. And because of the rapid development, they had to recruit workers from outside of Anguilla. Whereas before that, Anguilla was capable of managing the employment. And that changed the balance in some way. But you haven't seen a, a huge population explosion. No, and... When I first got here, I, I, I saw the potential of Anguilla. In my estimation, Anguilla has the potential to offer one of the best qualities of life in the world. Hey, guess what? You stayed. And I stayed. I stayed and I've stayed for 31 years, and I don't intend leaving. So you're okay with it? I, I'm okay and I'm not too okay because... Employment was 100% when I first came here. And people seemed happy. There weren't many complaints. But I've, I've seen more complaints creeping into the economy right now. All right, then let me ask you another way. What keeps you here? The air, which is beautiful. The beaches, the quietness, and few people. <laughs> That's not a bad deal. But I think for Anguilla, and I had suggested that to the then chief minister, that Anguilla needed a 25-year-old plan, development plan, and to reach a population of about 25,000 in order to maintain the economy. Right. You need about that. Because right now, the number of workers in Anguilla, which is probably about 4,000, cannot maintain the 
budget. It, actually, if you work out the mathematics, each local working person is liable to about $200,000 a year. That ain't bad. Ba based on the, <laughs> yeah, but what do they earn? Right. And that is the problem. Exactly. And we have no industries ready to speak of. All we have is fishing and tourism. And what you do. You're a sculptor. I'm an artist. I'm a sculptor and a ceramic artist also. I came here actually as a ceramic artist. Yeah, but I'm then you branched out to mahogany. Well, I was always into mahogany. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm, when I arrived here, I'm Mr. Lake, the late Albert Lake, saw me one day and he said, I hear you carve wood. I said, yeah. He said, I want to show you something. And he took me into his backyard and showed me a mahogany tree trunk. And then he told me the story of this mahogany tree, which was tied up very much in the history of Anguilla. This trunk was six feet in diameter. And I said, this cannot be from Anguilla. He said, no, this is our mahogany tree. And I bought it from him. Right now, I am carving it. And I have an exhibition actually in his supermarket at the moment, <laughs> which is the first for me. I've never taken an exhibition to a supermarket. I know very few exhibitions <laughs> in supermarkets. <laughs> but I thought it was a way of taking the art to the people. So right now it is on in the valley. Well, the good news is you still get to do your work. You still get to do your art. And by the way, it's been exhibited everywhere from Cuba to Canada to London, so you you get to stay here, but exhibit around the world. I I exhibited in the past around the world. I do not travel very much now. In fact, I'm turning down exhibitions because I do not travel. I found traveling at the moment pretty stressful. By the way, and, you're not alone. <laughs> and I was in Philadelphia for 9-11. In fact, I had an exhibition scheduled for Tribeca. It took me about four months to get the work back, and then I didn't travel very much after that. I was actually scared to travel. Really? Still? I was always actually scared to travel. Wow. Anytime before I went on a flight, I would drink a bottle of wine <laughs> <laughs> and sleep from the beginning till when I can feel the pressure in the, air, in the airplane. And uh, and I would warn the person next sitting next to me, please do not talk to me. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Alaska Flight 438. We'd like to tell you now about some important safety features of this aircraft. The most important safety feature we have aboard this plane is the flight attendants. Please look at one now. Joining me now is someone I've been a fan of for a long time. I never come to Anguilla without having her on the show, either remotely or I'm blessed today in person. She's the author of A Trip to the Beach, which is about how a crazy idea turned into a legend, which is called a restaurant right here in Anguilla. Her name is Melinda Blanchard. How are you? Okay. How are you, Peter? It's and great to see you. of course, the restaurant you. is Blanchard's. <laughs> You've been through so much here in Anguilla. Uh, 
the best of times, the worst of times after the hurricane. Give me an idea of the rebuilding efforts now and what's been coming back. You know, I think Anguilla has uh, come back in really good shape. I think if you talk to most of the business people and in the community, everybody's really happy with the health of the island. We have a few um, a few pro- bigger projects, like the high school is not yet rebuilt, you know, things like that. The infrastructure is not 100% back to normal, which breaks my heart, actually. You know, I, I think it's all financial and as, as anywhere. But you know, I'm a big, a big proponent that in the event of a natural disaster, after the first responders leave, that's when the real work starts. And the very first thing that needs to be done is to rebuild and open schools because if the kids can go to school, their parents can go to work. Absolutely. And things can be rebuilt in the community. Yeah. This this project is giant. Um, the high school, there's only one high school on the island, and they are actually relocating, so they've acquired some new land. And it's a big project. Right. So um, it's taking longer than anybody would like, but people are working on it pretty frantically. I mean, it, it's, it sure. will get done. But until then, kids are sharing classrooms and not going maybe as many hours as they should and that sort of thing. And But overall, I think the island has recovered. I mean, we at, at both of our restaurants, Blanchard's and the Beach Shack, we are doing better than ever. And you've been around for 25 years at that point. We have been around for 25 years, yeah. So let's, yeah, no, don't say it like that. Oh my God. <laughs> no, I, I, when I think, it makes me feel a little old. <laughs> <laughs> but let's tell your story. You just didn't show up. You just, but, but actually, you did, didn't you? We, Bob and I first came here in 1985. And at the time, there was very little here, as you know. Right. Very little. No Four Seasons, no Capjaluca, no Cuisinart, none of the, none. no private villas. I mean, none of the places that everyone knows Anguilla for now were here. Maliohana was here. Right. That opened in 84. The old Maliohana. The old Maliohana was here. It opened in 84. We came in 85 and stayed there, got friendly with Leon Royden, and kind of the rest is history, as they say. But we fell in love with it. I mean, we, we started meeting so many local people. Um, our taxi driver, and I'm sure you've heard this because taxi drivers become a big part of your Anguilla experience. They are. And On islands, taxi drivers are my salvation because they're also great storytellers. It, absolutely. And so yeah. we fell in love with our, he's his passed away now, but his name was Joshua Gums, and we got very close with him. I mean, we stayed in touch when we go back home. We were from Vermont at the time. Yeah. And, um, and when you first came down here, what did you know about Anguilla? Nothing. Nothing. We what were, did you know about the restaurant business? Nothing. Nothing. Mm-hmm. And here you are 25 years later. I know. We were both social workers. I mean, that was our, that was our education. Well, that's, well, that's part of the restaurant business. Well, it is. It yeah. actually helps. Those yeah. skills help you in anything, I think. Yeah. You know, you, you work with people, um, both employees and guests. But you really rolled the dice. Big time. Yeah, yeah, big time. If you had asked me when we opened so long ago, if you had asked me if I'd still be here now, I probably would have said no. Not because I didn't want to, but just yeah. because I didn't have the confidence or didn't think it could possibly happen. Uh, and I, to this day, am surprised at how successful it's been. It never, it never occurred to me that it, it would have worked as well as it did and that we would have been as happy as we are. And how many books later? A lot. <laughs> um, I think six. <laughs> My God. Now, here's the question I've always wanted to ask you, which we never got around to doing the last time we did the show. In 25 years, you know, when it comes to food, sourcing back then was difficult, right? Sourcing now is a little bit easier. Yeah. 
But how has the menu changed? What were you able to do then that nobody thought you could do? Or what couldn't you do then that you can do now? You know, that's an interesting question. Sometimes I feel like I'm more in the import business than in the restaurant business because I'm always managing how to get this, that, and the other thing here. But more and more now, there are local farms. There are We can get a lot more stuff locally, both both grown locally and just um, through stores or, you know, people bringing things in on a, on a professional level. Um, but we still... With both restaurants, we bring we bring a real lot in. We can't get quite enough yeah. locally. So we have, like tomorrow I have uh, an air order coming in for Christmas for next week. And it's, I don't know if you know what a D container is for air freight, but they're big, like really big, maybe four feet by four feet by four feet. I have six of them coming in with fresh fresh food that we can't get locally. Um, but years ago, you couldn't even really do that. You couldn't even get the transportation. Years ago, in the old days, you'd bring some food over. It would land in St. Martin on a cargo it plane. Would sit there. It would sit and sit. And then it would come over on a boat, and it would sit on the dock. And then, you know, you'd, you'd decide whether or not you wanted to use it. <laughs> it's different now. Yeah. Life is much easier in Anguilla right now. Right. So what are you sourcing locally now that you never could before? Oh, my gosh. Um, so much produce, so much produce. And there are new farms opening all the time. So kale, scallions, tomatoes, le- all kinds of lettuce, herbs, um, peppers, cucumbers, all kinds of things. And what's your signature dish now? Well. Come on. <laughs> at Blanchard's, yeah. our most popular dishes are some of the small plates that we offer for sharing. Some people use them more traditionally as an appetizer, and most people share. So we have something called a warm Brussels sprout Caesar. I don't know if you had that when you ate I with did. us. I did. I loved it. <laughs> it was. It's really one of our most yeah. popular dishes. We shave fresh Brussels sprouts really paper thin. Yeah. Um, and we toss them with a little olive oil, saute them, put our Caesar dressing, mix a little Parmesan and some homemade crouton crumbles on top. Yeah, the, the, biggest, uh, the biggest advance in cuisine, in my experience, has been in the last 10 years, I like Brussels sprouts now. <laughs> you know, it's so funny because if I go to a table and say, you know, they say, what do you recommend? What's your favorite? And my response is always, well, I don't cook things that I don't like. So it's really hard to narrow it down. It's something, you know, it usually comes off the menu if I don't like how it's working. But the Brussels sprouts, these are some people make a face. They wrinkle up their nose and say, Brussels sprouts. I'm one of those guys. And I I sometimes force people to try it, even if I have to give it to them. I just just taste it. And people can't even tell it's Brussels sprouts. Right, exactly. Um, It's it's an interesting phenomenon. (laughs) Well, you mentioned things, things that have come off the menu. What didn't survive? Oh, what did not survive? So we have some old things that were favorites that we've taken off, and some people come in and complain, where is our corn chowder? Ooh, where, yeah, you it, took corn chowder off the menu? We did, and it was on for 20 years, Peter. 20 well, okay. years. Stupid question. Why'd you take it off? Because it was on for 20 years. But that's not a good reason. <laughs> it is. You, I mean, at some point, you have, to, you have to make some changes. It gets boring. It gets dull. So we have, people have come to depend on it. So we kept some. We kept our lobster cakes, which have been on since day one, okay. twenty five years. They're All still right. there. Um, I had to bring in some new things. If I just kept adding, the menu would have a you know one hundred and fifty items on it. I had to pull some things off. We have we have a grouper niçoise that's really really popular, really great. Never had room for it before. We have a tuna poke on some crispy wonton. Um, 
wonton crisps that we make with a sriracha aioli, really good. We've been talking to Melinda Blanchard, basically the uh, conspirator behind Blanchard's, uh, 25 years young, uh, right here in Anguilla. When the hurricane happened, I mean, you became sort of like ground zero for, for aid and, and, and relief. We did. It was, um, it happened just so spontaneously the day after the storm. Bob and I were not actually here for the hurricane, which turned out to be a total blessing because we could send supplies down. If we were stuck here, we would, have, would not have been able to help at all. Right. And, um, you know, I had this idea of, we already had a 501c3 nonprofit in the States, so we raise money. We have something called the Blanchard's Ang- Anguilla Children's Fund, so we already had that in place. So um, you can use that as a chance. So I, exactly. So, so it was quick and easy to just do that. And I made a few phone calls to some of our um, more loyal, older customers and said, what do you think about this? Do you think you'd be willing to help help get started? And everybody jumped. I mean, people were so generous, Peter. It was unbelievable. I mean, what we're talking about here is you, you put together 300 generators. We did. We, we, raised, we raised about a million dollars um, in cash and and In stuff. kind, yeah. yeah. Uh, most of it was cash. And, and we, we purchased, we sent down 300 generators. We sent down a total of 14 40-foot containers with food and water and baby supplies and clothing, clothing and tools and building materials and, uh, you know, everything that people needed. But our team in Ang- at the restaurant, so Bob and I did all that up in, in the States and organized the purchasing. The, I did all the fundraising um, and the accounting that turned out to be a major project. Of course. <laughs> Managing of a million course. dollars. In, it's a lot of, lot of responsibility. Um, and, but our team in Anguilla was amazing. Our whole staff just jumped in and every day would greet the hordes of people that came. It, it, Blanchard's turned into a relief center. The restaurant was filled with pallets. It didn't look as beautiful as it, as it does <laughs> under normal circumstances. We had tarps over the roof and we had pallets everywhere and we had one section with food, one section with tools, et cetera. And I think the first day that we announced we were doing this, we had over 1,000 people uh, outside the restaurant. We had to get the police with and barricades. you were feeding them too. We were feeding them, yeah, yeah. Now, we, your own staff was displaced as well, so you had to take care of them. We did as much as we could, yeah, yeah. yeah. We had someone who had no bathroom. We had someone who lost a roof. We had someone who had no furniture. I mean, the whole... I mean, everybody here was was really affected, but it it became the relief project um, snowballed so quickly in such a positive way that at some point we had to actually argue with our insurance company for the restaurant because they said, look, you have to start rebuilding if you want to get your policy. You know, you, there were certain requirements. And we said, well, we can't. We just couldn't do it all because you couldn't be a relief center and do the construction. Do they understand? They did. It took a little talking, but yeah, they did. But it took, we didn't start rebuilding for three whole months. We did the relief project for three months. We didn't start, mm, I think it was the second week of December and the storm was September 6th, so it took well, about three months. Well, it wasn't just months. that you were trying to help the community at that point. In your career and in your life, you were the community. Well, we'd like to feel that way. I mean, our intention when we came to Anguilla so long ago was never to just be an expat with a business on an island. We really, I think because of our social work background, we were just excited about being part of a, a, a new culture and a new community. And this was one of those times when we really got to, got to do that. Well, here we are at the beginning of the year, 2020. What does that hold for Anguilla now? 
I think we have the usual competitiveness of other Anguilla, of other Caribbean islands. Right. You know, everybody, we don't have the budget. You know, you see, you see some of those bigger islands with great jingles and songs and ads on TV uh, in the States, and we don't have that. So it's, That's a plus, by the way. It, it is it's it is a plus because um, it doesn't send the wrong message exactly but but we need to get the word out that we are okay we have survived the hurricanes this is a great place to come I think Anguilla is one of the safest places in the world I think that's a really important message to get across because it is and I I wouldn't live here if I didn't didn't believe that right um, so I think that business wise and economy wise we're we're going up all the time. I don't, uh, except for the year of the hurricane. I right. don't think it's slipped. It skipped a beat. And the hotel scene is getting better. Unbelievable. I mean, unbelievable. We have some real professional people running hotels. In the beginning, as much as I loved it, you know, they were just people like you and me who decided to run a hotel, and we may or may not have known how to do that as well as it could be. But the the level of professionalism that's come in here now is phenomenal and it's really helping and it's providing jobs and providing customers to not just us but all the restaurants all the taxi drivers it's up to everybody's game absolutely right a thousand percent a thousand percent yeah yeah no question about it you know we in the beginning people balked about having chains you know four seasons belmond auberge that sort of thing but boy i i think I don't see how anyone could complain. Now, Quintessence is not a chain. Correct. But it's still doing a great job, and it's beautiful, and it brings people to the island. Exactly. And if they come to the island, they're going to get hungry. If they get hungry, they're going to come have dinner at your place. Well, hopefully that's true. We will welcome them. Although, if I'm showing up, I want the corn chowder. Yeah, you and I'll send you the recipe. Oh, God. (laughs) Come on. All right. Either that or the Brussels sprouts. Brussels Masquerading sprouts. as corn chowder. Okay, we can do that. You'll do that for We me? can do that. <laughs> and for people coming down here, what message do you want them to have? Boy, come to Anguilla getting ready to relax more than you can imagine. You know, people think all the islands, you think palm trees, sand, sun, all the islands are the same. So many people don't understand that every island is a different country and a different culture. And in Anguilla, you've got such peace and quiet and such... Honest, good people that this is the place. Melinda Blanchard, American expat. I still call you an expat. The author of the co-author of her first book, A Strip to the Beach, and many more. Come fly with me. Let's fly. Let's fly away. If you can use some exotic booze, there's a bar in far Bombay. Come on and fly with me. Let's fly, let's fly away. Everywhere you walk around this this hotel, you're seeing art. It's inescapable. It can be Haitian paintings, sculptures, uh, Buddhas, uh, Asian art. It's everywhere. It's all part of, of Jeffrey Feiger's collection. But part of that is uh, is due to the man who's joining me now. He's originally from Armenia, from, Ar- from Iran. Then he lived in London. And then through some bizarre circumstance about his brother-in-law having land here in Anguilla... He moved here a number of years ago, and his name, Kachik Bogosian. Thank you. Did I get the pronunciation right? That's right. And you made a lot of the pieces here. I made, yeah. You're an artist. You're a sculptor. I mean, the most beautiful things that you've done out of ceramics. Thank you. And you're not leaving. You're here. I'm here. I live in Anguilla six months a year. And wait, I love the, the best part. And the rest of the time, you're in Queens? In Queens. In Bronx, really. In the Bronx. In Bronx. <laughs> There's a commute. My workshop is in Bronx. Ah, and then you come down here. And I produce the work there, and I come back here. What is it like 
on an island to either create the art or collect the art or even most importantly display the art it's very magic it's uh, anguilla is something more or less i lived everywhere with europe or america or you know even some arab countries but this place is so unique it's got some different soul in ireland when you are here you're literally in peace you forget time and that's something is beautiful well let me take the next connection for that you have time to think you have time to to breathe you breathe. have time and create that's right that's right you so, revitalize i come here to revitalize really it's get i turn to somebody else and are you creating down here too i do mentally yeah sometimes i do little work so your inspiration is here then back to the bronx back to the bronx <laughs> <laughs> another island another island so that's to right. speak that's right yeah i know yeah. i know what's changed down here in terms of the people who are coming do they appreciate the island and how do they appreciate the island they do um from the days which i came here early on it was very quiet and it wasn't so much happening and it wasn't very busy within being being very busy it's very very quiet it's not much happening but in meantime is so much going on i mean all these hotels before it was only three three hotels in whole island and where do i see your art outside of quintessence outside quintessence in new york uh, i do art expo i do hampton art i always do shows with different galleries but i don't have anywhere which i can tell them to go and see my art apart from my workshop all ceramic bronze ah and fiberglass So the roses are fiberglass? Fiberglass. Wow. And if truth be told, he makes the most comical and funny emojis. <laughs> Thank you very much. Are those fiberglass too? Fiberglass, that's right. Unbelievable. I did fiberglass because Caribbean, the air, it's salt, it destroys everything. It does, you're right. Fiberglass is safe. Nothing happens to it. It's the humidity. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Humidity and salt. What's your most challenging piece that you've ever done? I did Leonardo da Vinci the grotesque. I did nine pieces, nine heads, and that was most amazing, amazing challenge for me. Fiberglass as well? No, bronze. That was bronze. In bronze, that's okay. right. Actually, Mr. Figer has set of it, set of the heads wow. in his house in Michigan. And the roses that you did that hang over the lobby here. That's right. The oh. rose I did just for uh, Mr. Figer. Right. And now I do small ones. You know How long did it take you to do those? Six months. Wow. You had to make a mold. I had to make a mold, yeah. And then, it had, and then how many coats of resin? Um, five coats of resin. Really? Yeah. It's like building a you boat. Building a, that's right. Exactly like a boat to build up that you know, thickness. So basically, not that this is your intention, but your art floats. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You could turn it into a boat. That's actually. right. That's right. How does the art blend in here? What's the message that the artist is sending here? Um, Anguilla has been amazingly artistic. We have so many local artists. Art has been part of Anguilla. We had nice carvers, painters. They always also from America or from Europe, they come and go. They come and do some art here and they move on. But we have permanent artists in here which they are absolutely wonderful. Would it be a safe to say that you're an artist in residence? Yes. That's Mr. Figer gave me that name. He did. <laughs> when you're not in the Bronx. No. <laughs> I mean, I love the juxtaposition, Bronx and Anguilla. That's right. That's right. What's the biggest challenge for you living in Anguilla? Biggest challenge um you have to be ready to live with yourself. You have to be focused and 
there aren't much happening apart from, you know, restaurants and, you know, for somebody coming from New York. In New York, every week I go to from Metropolitan to Christie's to, you know, I'm all over the place checking out art. I love it. In here, there is no such a thing. I know, but you're here. That's I love right. it. Kachik Bogosian, thanks for coming. Thank you. Thanks for showing me your stuff. Thank you for having me. Minnesota, Buffalo, Toronto, Winslow, Sarasota, Wichita, Tulsa, Ottawa, Oklahoma, Tampa, Panama, Mattawa, La Paloma, Bangor, Baltimore, Salvador, Amarillo, Tokyo. On second thoughts, let's not go to Camelot. It is a silly place. I've been everywhere, man. Across the desert, spare, man. I breathe the mountain air, man. Travel, I've had my share, man. I've been everywhere. I've been to Boston, Charleston, Dayton, Louisiana, Washington, Houston, Kingston. I've been coming to this island for 30 years. In fact, in my days at the Today Show, we even did the Today Show wedding at Cap Jaluka back in the days of uh, Matt Lauer and Katie Couric and the gang. Uh, but I've been all over the island. Uh, you know, you can always define islands in the Caribbean by pre-hurricane and post-hurricane. But we're talking about Maliohana, Cuisinart, Cap Jaluca, and many others. And now for the first time, Quintessence, which is a different kind of a hotel experience because there are only nine rooms. And it's really owned by one guy. It's not a chain. You're not going to get any frequent stay points. Um, although it is part of Relay and Chateau, which means the food's great. Uh, and I always like to ask the locals what they think, how they think the changes have been where they're going, where they've been. And uh, my next guest qualifies for that because not only is she the general manager here, she's worked at the other hotels and she's hung out here. Merla Smith-Holly, how are you? I am well, thank you. So this is a different experience, isn't it? It is. You're in a, what, nine rooms? You're in nine rooms and you feel like you're in somebody's home. So it's a big mansion. It's a little bit away from the beach. So you're not directly roll out of the bed, fall in the sand kind of um, environment. However, it's different in terms of the hospitality that we offer. The three staff or four staff to one guest. That's not a bad ratio. No, it's not. And in fact, you know, at, at most hotels, they might claim that, but it's not really true the way it, the way it works out. Here, it really does. It does. And the thing is this, what I like about this place is it's not about rolling out of the bed and going into the water. It's, you're never far from anything, right? You can, if, if I want to go to the restaurant, I'm, it's right there. I'm 80 feet away, <laughs> right? If I want to go to the beach, I go down the steps. Yes. If I want to go in the pool, I go down the steps. Yep. Uh, but you're surrounded also by great art. You're in a gallery, per se. So wherever you turn, you see... Haitian art that has been collected by Jeffrey for the past 20 years because he and the then Mr. Royden, who owned and managed Maliohana Hotel, would have traveled to Italy with Mr. Peabody, who I've never met, and collected a vast amount of Haitian art. And luckily for Jeff, when Brazil, which is one of the more famous artists, when he died, he took upon himself to collect, if not every piece that he can find of his particular wow. art. And I mean, talk about rotating art. You have enough art here in storage yes. that you could rotate the exhibits every day. I can rotate quintessence. I can ro rotate the Q gallery literally every day. Wow. Based on his collection. And here's the other thing that, that I find interesting. There are a lot of art galleries that are essentially disguised as hotels. And there are hotels that are disguised as art galleries these days. Uh, and the art that they're showcasing, uh, in many cases, are local artists. But the cool thing is, 
You go back 25 years ago, hotel art was terrible. Hotel art was an afterthought. They just put up a picture of dogs playing poker, or, you know, and that was something to fill the wall space. Now, you walk into a room here. It tells a story. It, not only does it tell a story, at least in half the cases, at least in my experience, you want to take it home. You do. And you, and you can do that now. A lot of your pieces are for sale. A lot of our pieces, we had to pry Jeff to say, okay, you have so many. We only have so many walls. And he said, you know what? I will open the gallery. It's going to be the Q Gallery. And I'll take a few of my collections that I dearly love, and they'll be available for people to buy. And they can do it. They can do it. The other thing is, hotels really exist and survive and succeed as enablers. So... The whole idea of, of people going to a vacation and staying at a resort, which bothers me, is they never leave the resort, right? They just never leave. But you can enable them to do anything. Yes, we can. Because Anguilla is British, one, and we are governed under the British tertiary, um, we, we don't have jet skis. However, we have old schooners that people can go out on. We have much key. more stylish and, and yes. classic. Yes. yes. <laughs> we have neighboring keys that you can go and you feel like you're literally on your own island with a restaurant on it and being served by really great people with really great local foods. And so. you can even go kayaking out to a little island, there's a little restaurant. Yes, there. you can go over to Sandy Island, which is you stand on your balcony and it's like you can reach to it. So, other things to do. You have one of your guys on staff here who every day goes out and does free diving. And spear fishes. Yes. And he brings back the fish. And we cook it for you here at the restaurant. See, that's the way to do it. Yes. See, and the other thing that I like about this hotel is whether you like it or not, whether you're good at it or not, you end up having a conversation with everybody. Everyone. So there's not one person in this team that you won't meet. And we are a staff of 42 persons. You won't feel it, but you'll meet every single one of them because... Again, we try as much as possible to have four to five staff per guest, and we want you to feel like you're in our home and you leave with an experience that's different to any other you've ever had on the island or within the Caribbean. Merla Smith-Holly, thank you so much for joining you're us. You're welcome, Mr. That music, oh, nobody ever calls you Mr. Greenberg. Okay, Peter. Thank you. <laughs> you've been listening to Peter Greenberg Worldwide. Catch us each week as we broadcast from a new location somewhere around the world. Save on Cox Internet when you add Cox Mobile and get fiber-powered internet at home and unbeatable 5G reliability on the go. So whether you're playing a game at home yes, cool. or attending one live, no! you can do more without spending more. Learn how to save at cox.com slash internet. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial cable. Cox Mobile runs on the network with unbeatable 5G reliability as measured by Ookla LLC in the U.S. to H 2023. Results may vary, not an endorsement. Other restrictions apply. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. It was the biggest scandal in pop music. The stars of Milli Vanilli, the Grammy-winning multi-platinum R&B phenomenon, were exposed as frauds. But none of this was their idea. So whose idea was it? Enter German music producer Frank Farian. He saw the success of acts like Michael Jackson and Prince 
and he wanted in, no matter the cost. So he devised the perfect pop heist. Two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? They couldn't sing. But Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies and takes a never-before-heard look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when the truth came out, Rob and Fab were the only ones who got burned. Looking back now, it's hard not to wonder, why did everyone blame them and not the man pulling the strings? Follow Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.